This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye, bye, bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I am Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5pm in the city. Coming up on the programme, a Bank of England decision just ahead. Support for Staley over at Barclays and a high-profile firing down in DC. Let's get you up to speed on the top stories. Here's Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. All right, thank you very much, Jonathan Farrow. A lot going on. Yes, we are looking ahead to tomorrow's BOE decision. And so are you, Sterling Rose against most of its major peers and is this year's best performing G10 currency, even as the fallout from Britain's decision to leave the EU is starting to show in economic data. This has kept the Bank of England from lifting interest rates despite rising inflationary pressures. The central bank is scheduled to release its policy decision tomorrow alongside its quarterly inflation report. Barclays CEO Jess Staley is reiterating at the bank's annual general meeting in London today that he made a mistake in becoming personally involved with the compliance issue while saying he was limited in what he could disclose given an ongoing regulatory probe. And Donald Trump's abrupt firing of FBI Director James Comey threatening to quickly backfire on the president, who is now facing intense scrutiny from Democrats and even some Republicans over why he dismissed the man in charge of investigating his campaign's possible ties to Russia. Certainly a developing story and one we are continuing to monitor. And that's the latest from the news desk. Jonathan Farrow, back to you. Charlie, thank you very much. Plenty of drama down in D.C. Not much drama on Wall Street. The market's pretty muted in terms of the price action. The Dow down by about a tenth of 1%. The S&P 500 in positive territory and getting back to odds all-time highs. In the equity market in London, the FTSE 100 closing in positive territory by about six-tenths of 1%. The DAX up by a tenth. In the FX market, a lot of banks out there revising their calls for a stronger euro through 2017. The euro treading water today just south of a dollar and nine cents at one spot, 0.8.72. The cable rate, the pound against the dollar stable at 129.39. And that's where we begin with our top story. The central bank scheduled to release its policy decision Thursday, alongside its quarterly inflation report. The Bank of England, according to economists surveyed by Bloomberg, will lift its 2017 inflation forecasts and lower its growth projections this week. Whether this will mean more monetary policy committee members opting for a hawkish dissent, well, that's unclear at this point. Joining me now to discuss and through the next 60 minutes to wrap up all of the news through the Square Mile and on Wall Street is Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth in Zurich and in London, Richard Richard Jones, FX and rate strategist. So, Rich, just get me set up for tomorrow for the Bank of England. Super Thursday is what the media called it for a while when they released the policy decision, the minutes, the forecast, the whole lot and a news conference thrown in there as well. What's the base case for the square mile? Well, I'd never call these uh, these uh, Super Thursdays, John, a non-event, um, and, and I'm not going to do it this time. But it, I think there is very much a feeling uh, amongst investors that the Bank of England is is on hold, is going to remain lower for longer. And uh, we, if you look out the, the, the sort of the OIS curve over the next year, there is about 
12 or 13 basis points of tightening price. That's less than what we had only a few months ago. And uh, and realistically, I think what's the, the people are saying, you know, even if the Bank of England uh, ratchets up its inflation forecast tomorrow, yeah. Uh, it's it's really not feeding into wage gains, and and actually wages in in the United Kingdom now are actually uh, on a, on, a, on a real inflation adjusted basis zero and going negative. So I think they'll look through inflation. I think that we could get perhaps an an additional descent tomorrow. We had we've already had one in the form of Kristen Forbes. We may get another, but uh, but I, I really don't expect too much in terms of of. Uh, tightening of, of policy rhetoric beyond that from uh, from the Bank of England. And remember, we're in the middle of, a, of an election campaign. So that, that, I think, probably keeps them on the sidelines even more than they normally would have been. Well, I imagine in the news conference with um, Governor Carney, there's going to be plenty of questions about Brexit and maybe plenty of questions about politics. I'm not sure how many he can actually answer. Alistair, as Richard points out, the big surprise from the last inflation report was a dissent, finally. Someone putting their hands up and saying, our forecasts haven't been great. Um, it's time to hide interest rates. We don't need to be where we are. Do you see Kristen Forbes getting a little bit more support on the MPC at this meeting, Gal? Afternoon, Jonathan. Well, it's worth remembering that uh, Kristen actually is set to leave um, at the end of June anyway. Um, I'm not too sure um, how much more traction there's going to be in regards to real sentiment change um, for raising uh, interest rates. I mean, the last time the Bank of England actually raised the interest rate was way back in July 2007. It's been a while. it, it has been a considerable uh, period of time. Um, I, I think you know, politics undoubtedly will play its part as far as um, this, this meeting is going to be concerned. It will be at the, uh, the forefront of people's minds. And, and I dare say um, that once again, uh, Mark Carney will be asked his thoughts and opinions on that. Um, I, I think the inflation picture as far as uh, the complexities is continuing to be murkied, those, uh, those waters, by the, the action price action we've seen in oil prices over the last month, last year, last yeah. couple of years, in fairness. Um, and I don't really think we've got much of a clearer picture. If you look at oil prices at the moment, uh, you know, they're... they're um, they're, they're going through a bit of a, a weak few months, uh, weeks now, uh, but in reality, that there's been a lot of uh, uh, lateral movement as far as that is concerned. Um, so I'm not sure that there's necessarily a picture that paints uh, a, a real um, uh, showing of hands as far as change is concerned. And when it comes to Mark Carney, there's always a touch of levity involved, and um, certainly here from from Switzerland, I'm just wondering whether he's going to use this opportunity to uh, voice his disappointment that the Swiss 50 uh, beat the uh, UK's. New new fiver to the International <laughs> Banknote of the Year Award. <laughs> I imagine Governor Carney, I mean, look, there's plenty of investors that I've spoken to that thinks the governor on Threadneedle Street does have a bit of an ego. I'm not sure whether he goes that far, Al, to, um, to, to notes. No, all, winning. All, all said in jest. <laughs> Richard Jones, let's explore the argument to raise interest rates. Whether Kristen Forbes steps down or June, in June or not, it raises an argument that maybe needs a little bit of conversation as to whether the Bank of England needs to be providing such accommodation at this point when the economy still looks quite resilient despite the messy politics of the last 12 months, or at least for much of it, well, the problem is, John, is that the the I would say in the in the six months so towards uh, the end of 2016, what you said is very true. the The data has been it was very resilient and initially had quite a drop and then bounced back quite sharply. Um, now, given the fact that you've got what I think. Uh, uh, Mr. Broadbent on the MPC calls uh, sort of perfect conditions 
uh, or a real sweet spot for the economy. You've got a weak pound. You've still got access to the single market, and you've got a, an accommodative central bank. So it makes sense that you'd get that data rebound. But what we've seen in the past few months, and and, and the, the one of the key metrics that I look at is retail sales. And that, they're really starting to soften now, as as I say, because, uh, because inflation is starting to eat into real wages. Um, it really reduces the purchasing power of consumers. And consumers are so important to the UK economy. And that's the, even as early as January, that's something that Mark Carney was sort of harping on about is that, you know, 2017, it looks like it's going to be a very challenging year for consumers. So I would say on the surface, if you look at inflation, it's going to overshoot the target. The governor is going to have to write a letter to the, uh, to the chancellor. Yeah. But but in terms of the real wage picture, I think that probably the bank is very, very comfortable with with its uh, with its uh, sort of on hold posture. And if anything, a lot of the sort of um, more negative or or, or the the more uh, darker prognosis that the bank had immediately after the referendum was a case of getting it right, but getting the timing wrong. And I think some of the things they were warning about are going to probably start to come into fruition as we uh, proceed through 2017. Jen, she's sticking with us. Richard Jones, FX and rate strategist. Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management over at Fern Wealth. Still ahead on the cable, the Barclays CEO, Jess Staley, apologises again for repeatedly trying to root out a whistleblower. For the City of London, this is The Cable. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Ferrell on Bloomberg Radio. For the City of London, this is The Cable. I'm Jonathan Farrow, live on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5.10pm in the beautiful City of London. The FTSE 100 today closing up by six-tenths of 1% this Wednesday. The DAX over in Frankfurt, Germany, a positive session as well, but by a marginal one-tenth of 1%. The pound, the story in the FX market, 129.34, unchanged as we head towards that Bank of England policy decision. And to wrap up UK markets for you, the bond market performing as follows with yields lower going into that rate decision by about three or four basis points 116 117 or there and thereabouts is your yield on a 10 year at the front end on a two year 0.13 percent so that's the story in the markets in the united kingdom the story for the banks in the uk well the barclays chief executive officer jess staley reiterated at the bank's annual general meeting in london today that he made a mistake in becoming personally involved with the compliance issue the chairman john mcfarlane said it wouldn't have been just to fire Staley over the issue and stated the punishment for going through a red light is not to lose your license and that they will address his compensation appropriately. Joining me now is Alistair McCabe, Director at Investment Management at uh, Fern Wealth and of course Bloomberg's very own Richard Jones, FX and Rate Strategist. Hey Al, for Barclays, it was a decent story for Joe Staley. He was the CEO, he had this big plan, it was going to be a transatlantic investment bank. We all understood what he was trying to achieve. You speak to people within Barclays, specifically the investment banking side, morale very high under Joe Staley in a way that it was for, um, for Bobby D, for Bob Diamond as well. This issue around Barclays. Can they move on from it now the AGM is done and the support is for the CEO or does the regulator have something else to say? 
Um, well, uh, judging by the fact that uh, Jeff Daly f- mentioned on uh, uh, several occasions uh, how limited he was uh, able to, to fully disclose to, to the meeting um, what exactly, uh, where exactly things stood, I think there may well be a little bit more to materialise. Um, I think, though, it's worth, you know, purely from the investment community mindset here, year on year, we're looking at a Barclays share price well off its highs in that year period, in fairness. Yeah but still up over, what, about 27 to, to 30%, to, uh, taking, taking whichever day you, you, you choose. But year on year, that's the sort of figure we're talking about. Um, a, a lot of uh, misdemeanors will be overlooked by investors on the back of that, and that's exactly what's materialized here. It will be uh, background noise that you suspect over the next 12 months will slowly but surely diminish. Fascinating how the story of two banks has changed and the fortune of them have as well. I mean, this time last year, we'd have been talking about Deutsche Bank in a little bit of trouble. Now we're talking about Barclays. And this morning, looking at Deutsche Bank, the Qatari royal family asking the German regulator, Al, to approve a boost in its stake in Deutsche Bank to more than 10%. Now, is that a signal of faith in the European economy or just a signal that they want to control Europe's largest investment bank? Or in fact, are they the two same things? Well, I think it's a signal that um, Middle East investors, when it comes to European banks, have seen how uh, successful uh, an investment can be with Barclays and how well that can go. As far as the the German... uh, regulators are concerned. They could well be viewing some sort of uh, foreign investment as the sort of ideal scenario. Um, it's always felt that you know Deutsche Bank is effectively the crown jewels when it comes to German banks, and the German government would ultimately have to step in if it ever came to that situation. Um, some sort of uh, sizable overseas investment to boost, stabilise the current situation. Um, it could well be that the scenario that suits all parties the best. Who's got the hardest job right now, Al? Tijan Tiam over at Credit Suisse, Jess Daly at Barclays, or John Cryan at Deutsche? Well, bearing in mind Jess Daly's just um, just got through that meeting and, and, and had things uh, voted through, I, I'd, I'd have to say he's he's sitting all right. I think maybe Tiam's probably the one I'd be um, yeah. at least comfortable sitting in his, uh, his seat. Maybe the hardest job in European banking right now. Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth, and Richard Jones, Bloomberg's very own FX and rate strategist. Rich will be weighing in on the euro in just a moment. That's coming up next on the cable. Forget the politics for the single currency. It's all about growth in Europe's economy. Why have Credit Agricole, Bank of America and more upgraded their targets for the single currency? That's next. For now, though, a check on traffic, weather and all the news you need to wrap up your day in London for the city. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5.18pm in the city. Alongside me today, Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth, Richard Jones, FX and Rate Strategist. Gents, did you hear that? There will be an IPO of Pret-a-Manger, potentially here in the United States, with a value of $1 billion. Do we like Pret, Alistair McKay? When I was living and working in London, I must admit the novelty factor of Pret wore off some Did time it ago. really? Now that I'm in Switzerland, though, <laughs> you miss it. I wouldn't do for a cheeky Pret sandwich. <laughs> I can tell you Pret across from um, the city of London headquarters for um, Bloomberg. 
is populated mostly by Bloomberg employees in the morning. And I can tell you, the Manus Crowley, Bloomberg's very own, used to go in and he would have this special order and they'd know exactly what it was. It was a special Irish, he would call it. And on his birthday, I walked in and I told them it was his birthday and they went round the back, brought out a cake and a candle and the whole shop sang happy birthday to Manus <laughs> Cranny. The personal touch. Did you also know that if you go to Pret and they feel sorry for you, they can give you a free coffee? They're permitted to do that. I, I did know that, yeah, but I've never had uh, a glum enough looking face, I guess. I guess. Richard Jones, you've ever been given a free coffee at Pret? No, I don't think I look glum enough either. I think I'm going to have to change the way I approach to people at Pratt in order to try and get Go some Go in there free and caffeine. look really unhappy like you've had a tough day and apparently there's a free coffee in it for you. The story for the Euro, Emmanuel Macron's victory in France. I don't know how I'm making this pivot, but I am. Dousing risks of a Euro breakup. Banks are more bullish on the currency now, given the region's improving growth and the prospect that the ECB may actually taper some of its economic stimulus. We've had banks like Unicredit, ING, raising their forecast for the Euro just this week after Sunday's second round vote in France. This follows Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Credit Agricole doing so earlier on as well. So Rich, the story of the euro, get bullish it seems, but we trade just south of 110, the forecast year end, median, surveyed by Bloomberg, 110. We're not overly bullish yet, are we? What a difference an election makes, eh, John? I mean, uh, really, I think, and, and, you know, the French election result follows on from the Dutch election result in March, which was also um, a, a pretty strong rejection of, of the type of populism that, uh, that led to the, the Brexit uh, vote and to, to Mr. Trump being elected in the U.S. And I think if you take that where, you, where there was some politics was ask, asking sort of existential questions about the euro and and that looks like it's abating you and and as you say we're getting some decent economic data out of the, out of the eurozone it's still nascent in terms of the recovery but it's positive and it's starting to become positive not just in germany you know we're seeing some better numbers out of france out of some of the periphery so you get that combination and yes i can see why why forecasts are being ratcheted higher by a lot of names but yeah. realistically i think one of the key things that's going to be uh, that, that that will drive any currency pair is still those interest rate differentials and while people are starting to think that the ecb will shift its its policy i think it's still too soon i mean mr draghi um, was uh, testifying to the dutch parliament today and the key thing for me is he's still saying that the domestic drivers of inflation, and he specifically name-checked wages today, aren't yet responding to the recovery. And there's still too much of an output gap for them to even consider uh, a deviation from their current policy. Now, it could be they get to the end of the year, maybe September, and they start decide in 2018 they're going to do a little bit less QE. But I, could, I still see them doing QE in 2018. And with the Fed raising rates, it probably means that euro dollar as a currency pair could climb higher, but it's not going to race higher. And and so that the, the calls for a higher euro is challenging because the interest rate differential side of that of that forecast is offset by the, the improving economic fundamentals and also by the diminished political risk. So it could be yeah. that we actually trade sideways for a while. What's the view like in Zurich, Al? Yeah, look, euro dollars traded, oscillated around 110 now for the best part of just over two years. Um, and the cynic in me remembers that uh, the second half, or I think it was probably Q4, beginning of Q4 last year, there were a number of institutional banks that once again were saying, we may well see parity as far as this is concerned. And that was effectively the catalyst for the euro dollar to start heading north again. That was fun, um, wasn't it? 
Well, you know, they, they have tended historically to uh, offer themselves up as a reverse indicator. And I'm, the cynic in me says that I'm, I, I'm yet to be uh, uh, swayed into this way of thinking. I, I think as far as the, the French election hurdle is concerned, yes, that's been cleared. And the German election hurdle looks like it should be under control at this point in time. But there will be another hurdle somewhere down the road. And let's not kid ourselves, the press, the media, etc. They're much keener to, to talk about uh, fear factors and worries than they are about everything's fine and everything's going well. Um, and I guess on, and part of that thinking is, of course, that the fact that the, the Dutch parliament used this opportunity uh, with Mario Draghi's speech to present him with uh, a solar-powered plastic tulip just to uh, <laughs> remind him, refresh his memory, about the tulip bulb bubble mania from the 17th century. Uh, I, I think we, you know, we may well see things uh, move a little bit, but uh, longer term, I think we've, we've still got hurdles to clear. Yeah, no, they, they think the politics is interesting in DC. You just have there's just pockets of it across Europe, these little stories that pop up that are just absolutely ridiculous sometimes. Um, Rich, the parity story that Al brings up, it was just such an easy story to sell. The following... The Fed would hike interest rates because the economy was doing better than Europe and and Europe would have to keep easing because the economy was doing worse than the United States and we'd have what everybody called divergent monetary policy. Just quickly, Rich, it hasn't happened and it could be happening in the opposite way almost, convergence to some extent. Well, you see, I think the kicker on on that whole theme, John, was the fact that a lot of these calls, as Al said, were made in the wake of Brexit, in the wake of Trump being elected in the U.S. And and you look at at all of the political risk that faced Europe in 2017, and you and you could see where people were thinking, okay, this could be problematic, right? You've got the Dutch elections, yeah. the, the, the French elections. You had the AFD in Germany, another populist party, actually uh, uh, doing quite well in the polls, and all of that seems to have melted away. The Dutch, uh, the Dutch populists were, were rejected. Very firm rejection of Le Pen in uh, in France. The AFD is now polling between five and ten percent, so not a, a a big problem there, and and a resurgent Angela Merkel. So if you you put all of that together, yeah. the political risk that maybe was the kicker to get that to get the euro rate down to parity, that's gone, and so therefore. I think the, the the shock is 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 gone, and, and therefore we could see the euro trading sideways to higher. Richard Jones of Bloomberg, Alistair McKay of Fern Wealth, sticking with me. Next up on the cable, it's a high-profile firing in DC. This is the cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Hello, hello, good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5.30pm in the city. Equities closing higher in London. The FTSE up six tenths of 1% almost. The DAX up about a tenth of 1%, 0.07% to be precise. In the United States, the session continues. The S&P 500 treading water. Most of the benchmark indices in the United States are pretty much dead flat on the session and near to record highs. In the FX market the pound 129.39 against the dollar pretty much unchanged as well ahead of a bank of england decision tomorrow and the forecast and the news conference and the minutes from the meeting it's called super thursday by many people we will bring that to you 
tomorrow on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television as well. In the bond market, gilts yields lower across the curve, down about three or four basis points on a 10-year at 1.166%, the two-year at 0.133%. That's the story of the markets. Let's get you up to speed on the top stories. Here's Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. All right. Thank you very much, Jonathan Ferrer. Just want to begin with crude oil, looking at a big move today for West Texas Intermediate Crude. Here in the U.S., up 3.4%. Brent crude, higher by 3.2%, 50.28 for a barrel of Brent. We are looking ahead to tomorrow's BOE decision, and yes, so are you. Sterling rose against most of its major peers and is this year's best-performing G10 currency, even as the fallout from Britain's decision to leave the EU is starting to show in economic data. This has kept the Bank of England from lifting interest rates despite rising inflationary pressures. Barclays CEO Jess Staley reiterated at the bank's annual general meeting in London today that he made a mistake in becoming personally involved with a compliance issue while saying he was limited in what he could disclose given an ongoing regulatory probe. And the major story in the United States, ongoing reverberations, President Trump's abrupt firing of FBI Director James Comey is threatening to quickly backfire on the president, who is now facing intense scrutiny from Democrats and even some Republicans over why he dismissed the man in charge of investigating his campaign's possible ties to Russia. Again, a developing story, one we continue to monitor. That is the latest from the news desk. Jonathan Farrow, back to you. Thank you very much, Charlie. It may be the, uh, the timing of the following a little bit provocative. The, the White House announced just hours after Comey's firing that Trump would welcome Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov to the Oval Office today for a closed-door meeting. For the markets, you've got to figure out what does it mean for the agenda in D.C. and what does it mean for tax reform? And Alistair McCaig of Fern Wealth and Bloomberg Richard Jones still with me. I just think there's such a binary story here and I can bring up the view on Wall Street. Basically, the question as follows, does the firing of the FBI director Jim Comey suck oxygen from the Trump agenda? And KBW's Brian Gardner says the Comey firing is a bad sign for tax reform. Then Evercore ISI's Terry Haynes says doesn't see Comey firing impacting timing of tax and ACA reform. Uh, so, Alistair McCaig, which one is it? Does it matter ultimately to investors? If I go by the market move today, it's no. But is the politics a little bit more complex than that? Well, Donald Trump is uh, someone who uh, creates a very polarised opinion from from the masses. Certainly, as far as Europe is concerned, I don't think we really care who the FBI director is, was, or will be. Um, we, we look at the market reaction in the US equity markets, and, and quite frankly, it's muted at best. But you've hit the nail on the head there. The worry that we have is that this is once again going to be another distraction as far as the Trump administration is concerned, when they really should be focusing on, on making uh, a real inroad as far as reforming tax is concerned, infrastructure spending. That's what we, I think the global community would like to see materialise. Um, and you'd have to imagine that this Comey situation, however um, far it actually goes, and whether this ends up being some sort of constitutional issue or not, is going to distract the, the Trump administration. Richard Jones? Yeah, I, I have to say, I was probably hit it right and hit the nail right on the head. I mean, it's it's not like we've had an awful lot of bipartisan cooperation between both of the parties in, in Washington. <laughs> and this is hardly going to help. And, and I agree, it doesn't really, I'm not sure that anybody is, is going to be uh, get too bent out of shape with who the actual director of the FBI is. But what does it mean for the president's legislative agenda? And, and all of these things um, sort of fed into the immediate sort of um, uh, rally that we saw across everything 
at, in in late 2016 and, and early yeah. 2017, uh, you know the whole reflation trade is it seems to be if it's not dead, it's certainly running out of petrol and is slowing down. And and this is just another roadblock or another hurdle to be cleared in order to get the agenda that I think investors reacted favorably to uh, actually enacted. And and it, it strikes me that this is something that if it doesn't if it doesn't kill off that agenda, it really delays it. And and that could be problematic as we go forward. I guess it depends how long uh, you know the the uh, the 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 lack of bipartisan cooperation goes on, uh, but you you don't look at it with any sort of optimism yeah. given what we've seen so far. Al, I, what I think is interesting about this morning and the lack of market reaction. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. It, either one, the markets decided that it's not relevant for tax reform, or maybe the markets now just decided that they haven't got much hope for tax reform anyway. I go back to a, a load of conversations I had November, December. January, February, maybe going into March, the optimism around the uh, the Trump agenda was was incredibly high. The tax reform, a fiscal stimulus plan. Now, I think that doubts have really crept into investors' minds. And, and when you ask them what validates the optimism in, say, equity prices, they won't turn around and say a favourable White House. They'll turn around and say earnings. And then they'll say earnings again, and they'll say earnings a few more times after that. And then they'll talk about the economic data. Have we got to a point now where actually for market participants, for investors, looking at markets and looking forward, that they're not really pricing much stimulus in full stop anymore? You know, interestingly, I, I, I watch the flows that we see from uh, uh, um, BlackRock um, ETFs and the yeah. likes, um, and because they're always quite good at uh, quickly and swiftly um, uh, sort of highlighting exactly where the money is going. And in the last couple of months, we've seen that the European arena has ac- actually picked up considerable amounts of, uh, of inflow as opposed to the US. It is a story that, that is uh, all of these events uh, that, uh, that, that materialize around the, the Trump administration um, uh, in years gone by would have seen so so far-fetched they wouldn't have even appeared in a, a Hollywood script. But these days, quite frankly, anything that is crazy, people are just absorbing and there's a lot of shrugging of shoulders going on. And I think at this point in time, maybe the markets aren't quite losing patience, but they're losing uh, the expectation that yeah. they're going to see, see things materialize quickly. I just look at the flows the same way you do, Al, and I go back to the trade of the last 24 hours, maybe the trade of the week, that Jeff Gunlack, a double line Capital, the CIO there, really highlighted, and it was to short U.S. equities and go go long EM. And, and the short wasn't a forecast for a fall in U.S. equities per se. It was a pair trade. It was a relative value trade. And I, I just wonder whether that's the story here, Rich, that maybe a lot of people aren't as enthusiastic, optimistic about U.S. assets anymore. And they're looking elsewhere now to the to Europe, to the emerging market space. Yeah, well, it goes back to what we were talking about at the top of the hour, John, and and that's uh, you know if you look at the economic data, both the soft and the hard economic data coming out of Europe, and that's important to to, to note that because we have a bit of a soft and hard data disconnect in the U.S. where the soft data is saying one thing and the hard data is just not coming through. We're actually seeing that in Europe where where both are lining up, and and perhaps that story, the 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 underlying macroeconomic story in yeah. Europe, is is actually outpacing in the U.S. and it's not something that investors are used to. And, you know, I, I think Al's right. There's the, certainly after the French election, you've seen uh, much more uh, flow into European ETFs rather than, than, than into the U.S. And perhaps this is something that will take a, get a little bit of traction and, and is a theme we, that will develop in the coming months. Richard Jones, FX and rate strategist at Bloomberg. Alistair McCaig, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth. Sticking with me. Coming up on The Cable, still ahead. 
on the cable financial markets aren't waiting to find out if this is the year Fed policymakers stick to their forecast, which is for two more hikes in 2017. Is the market finally following the Fed? This is the cable. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Hello, hello, good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live on DAB Digital Radio. It has just gone 5.40pm in the city. The story tomorrow for London on Threadneedle Street is a Bank of England decision. The story for the markets globally is what will the Fed do through 2017. Traders are mostly on board already with the central bank raising rate at its June meeting, pricing in odds of a hike at almost 80%, but they're also growing more confident confident that the Fed will go again in September, with the probability of such a move approaching 40% on Tuesday, and that's about double what it was two weeks ago. So the story for the last few years is that it's a market that's set up for a Fed to do not much at all, and a Fed that gravitates down towards the market's view of the world. But the story through 2017 so far is a market that started following the Federal Reserve. So does the Fed now lead the market. Joining me now, of course, is Alistair McCaig. He's been with me through the hour, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth, and Richard Jones, FX and Rate Strategist here at Bloomberg. Hey, Al, that was the story over the last few years. Has the story changed? Have we got a regime change at the Federal Reserve and the market? I'm not quite convinced yet. Um, it's worth noting that um, last week on the, the tail end of those non-farm payrolls and average hourly earnings, we saw um, markets factoring in in, in the 90s um, percent chance of, uh, of a June um, high uh, rate. Um, I think we're going to see that rise. It seems seems kind of locked in. There hasn't been enough that would um, uh, change the mentality of, of the, the, vote, the voting uh, Fed members. And it's worth noting that the phraseology we've heard coming out from a couple of them um, is pretty solid. George, for instance, saying that the U.S. economy is on track to grow at slightly above trend rate. And, and you know, this sort of thing just gives a bit more um, countenance to the, the, the fact that we will see it. September, I guess, it, it is increasing. Uh, the, the speculation is increasing there as well because of the confidence we have about June. Rich? Yeah, I'd say I'd say that uh, that June is looking very likely. Uh, the the market's very comfortable with it, and uh, and I still say that the Fed needs the market or wants the market to be comfortable with with their moves uh, before they actually enact them. So the fact that the market has actually uh, bought into the narrative, I think, makes June um, very likely. And and you know, if if I look at the Fed funds futures strip and I look at what's priced in between now and the end of the year. Uh, we've probably got about 40 basis points in aggregate priced in. So that's another, probably yeah. another couple 25 basis point hikes in line with the Fed dots, which like you say, John, is, is very different from what we saw in 2015 and 2016, where the, the dots call for three or four in both of those years. And we got one in each of those years. So I'm not sure that if it's a question of, of the Fed leading the markets or vice versa, uh, but I do think that the Fed... Uh, will want the markets to be comfortable with what they're planning. And unlike the previous that years, that's, that's exactly where we are right now. Yeah, Alistair McKay, I do wonder, though, I look at the PPIs out from China, the uh, producer price index that comes mm. in beneath expectations. I look at some of those indicators over in China, which the commodity market's been really worried about, but the broader market hasn't paid much attention to. And whether the real reflation trade has kind of peaked uh, and what that means for the Fed. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess um, 
London has always been uh, more inclined to pay closer attention to commodities uh, prices with uh, the FTSE being so weighted in that sector anyway. And, and, it, and it has maybe not rung the, the, the alarm bells, but we're certainly seeing uh, an, an easing of expectations, I think, as far as, as China is concerned. Um, I, I still think that um, uh, when it comes to the Fed, they, they uh, very much like their tapering efforts when it came to the, their ending of the quantitative easing, uh, talk about it frequently and a lot and get the, the markets comfortable with yeah. your actions before you embark upon it. And then the reaction when you finally do pull that trigger, as it were, uh, will be relatively uh, you know, calm and collected rather than uh, you know, startled. And I think that's, that's pretty much the way they're going about it. But as I say, quite a few members talking about it over the last um, number of days, and they're just sort of laying the groundwork. And I think the focus kind of shifting away from rates where there seems to be a consensus at the Federal Reserve and, and much more towards what happens with that $4.5 trillion balance sheet at the end of this year. Jens, Alistair McCaig, of course, of Fern Wealth and Richard Jones of Bloomberg sticking with me to wrap up the last hour and really push ahead to what's on the agenda for financial markets through the next 24 hours and through the week ahead. Everything you need to know for the week ahead, that's coming up still on The Cable. Now for a check on traffic, weather and all the news you need to wrap up your day. This is The Cable. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. I'm so good at air guitar to that, Richard Jones. Um, Richard Jones, how's the band going? Going very well, John. We've got a, our next gig in uh, on the 5th of July, yeah. Half Moon here in London, on which coincidentally is my birthday. For our listeners, so, uh, for our listeners in London, please tell them what your what your other job looks like. Yes, on on weekends and evenings, I pretend to be a rock star. I'm a, a drummer in a Foo Fighters tribute act called the Foo Fathers, and we there do we about three, three or four charity gigs every year. And then and we're doing the next one in July. Can we get Alistair McKay a ticket? Absolutely, <laughs> Alistair. Would you fly from it Zurich to like London? It sounds like it's worth flying back for. Uh, honestly, honestly, if you haven't seen videos of Richard Jones on the drums, you really, really should get hold of them. I'm going to tweet them out a little bit later. For our listeners in the City of London, this is The Cable. I am Jonathan Furrow, live on DAB Digital Radio. Let's just whip through the market action for you at 5.49pm in London. A FTSE up about six-tenths of 1% at the close, 0.59% to be precise, just over 43 points higher. The DAX up by 8 points, up by 0.07%. There are the closing prices. In the United States, the action continues. The S&P 500 up almost a tenth of 1%. The Dow a little weaker down by a tenth. The Nasdaq stable at record highs, up by 0.03%. The story in the FX market, the euro on the session, treading water, one spot 0.870. The cable rate, a similar story. The pound ahead of a Bank of England rate decision tomorrow at 129.37, also unchanged on the day. If you're looking at gilts as any guide ahead of tomorrow, yields grinding lower throughout much of the day. Yields lower by about three or four basis points on a 10-year to 1.166%. And to wrap up the market action, the real price action actually in the commodity market. Brent back with a 50 handle at $50.35, up by over three percentage points. And a similar move in crude on a percentage point basis. WTI back up to 47.55. That's the market action in the here and now. Let's get you up to speed on the highlights for your day 
ahead. We've had a week full of Fed speak so far. We will get a speech from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York Governor William Dudley tomorrow, along with that Bank of England decision and, of course, inflation report. Then on Friday, it's a busy day for economic data in the United States, including CPI and retail sales as well. Of course, wrapping things up with their final thoughts is Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth, and Richard Jones, FX and Rate Strategist. Guys, we were talking about the data a little bit and what it meant uh, for the Federal Reserve just a moment ago. And I look ahead to Friday, Rich, and I hear all these voices about GDP bouncing back and how the consumer downturn in the first quarter was temporary. Tell me how important that retail sales print will be in a couple of days' time. Well, I remember you and I were talking about this exactly this time last week, where where it's sort of like, does the data really matter? You know, the Fed seems to be on automatic pilot at the moment. Yeah. And and what I would say is the data matters if it's weaker than expected, because that is the one thing that can maybe throw the Fed off course. And as long as the data remains resilient and doesn't come off too sharply, then I think it probably doesn't matter as much to the Fed as it would otherwise. Uh, but it, Given the importance of of, uh, the consumer to the U.S. economy, I think that retail sales number is always one worth worth watching. Inflation as well. We get to producer price and consumer price inflation over the next couple of days. But I agree. I think that retail sales figure will be very interesting to see. Al? Yeah, certainly as far as retail sales are concerned, they've been quite important, certainly to the UK, um, and we've seen the, the market reaction on the back of that a bit. Um, it, is, uh, it is a key indicator. We've also got the G7 kicking off on uh, Friday as well, um, where uh, apparently protectionism is off the agenda, but you've got to imagine it'll still be bubbling around uh, below the surface. And it's also worth noting as well, there's going to be uh, climate change conversations too, and that was certainly one of Donald Trump's big uh, um, uh, election promises, campaign promises. So It'll be interesting to see how how that gets pushed through. But the the commentary coming out of the G7 nations has been they're expecting a clearer picture to be painted from the U.S. I'm I'm somewhat skeptical that that will materialize because certainly the U.S. is yet to see a a clearer picture, I think. So um, I think inflation and retail sales on Friday probably going to take the highlights. Alistair, a conversation we've had on this program on the cable is whether you should pay attention to the politics or whether it's North Korea and missing out on the, the South Korean equity market rally of the year so far with the cost be up almost 13% last time I checked, or whether you ignored the French election and just chased the rally with the CAC 40 up over 10%, up over 11%. Likewise, in Mexico, ignore the politics and chase the peso run, peso strength, the story of the year so far. Should we be paying this much attention to the politics? I think it's still important, and maybe the way to, to look at most of this, rather than chasing it up, is being a little bit more on the preemptive side. Um, and I think, you know, the, the French election is a prime example of the way the market reacted in the yeah. run-up to that, um, where we actually believed the polls, uh, as we touched on last week, and we actually believed that Macron was going to win. There was a market move all the way right up to the election. Once it materialised, it was the buy-the-rumour-sell-the-news uh, mentality that uh, came to, to the fore. And I think that's maybe a, a sort of template that we can utilise in other areas. Rich, hindsight makes us all George Soros and Stan Druckenmiller. Um, unfortunately, we're not. And <laughs> we don't all go into this with, with hindsight before we put the money down, of course, by definition. But looking back on it, the conclusion just seems to be, listen to the politics and where it's loudest, take the other side of the trade. Um, <laughs> why isn't that the story going forward? Well, it's you know I, I guess you, you have to pick your battles, right? I mean, if you look at, you look at Brexit and you look at the election of Donald Trump, Okay, I I would say both of those things caught investors off guard. I think, uh, you know, 
twice twice bitten the third time shy but then of course you know you look at the french election and and it turned out to be a storm in a teacup now if you're an investor without the benefit of hindsight would you yeah. go into that event unhedged you probably wouldn't so i guess i guess the uh, al's advice is probably sound is like you don't want to chase things around but you do want to have some protection just in case and 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 realistically um, if there are any sort of dips that emerge from yeah. on the political side, it just seems you buy them with abandon and 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 don't worry about it. Gents, just some, to wrap just to wrap sorry. things up very quickly um, with the Bank of England rate decision tomorrow. Final question for you both: Cable at one twenty nine thirty nine, one twenty nine by year by day's end tomorrow at the session end or one thirty. Where are we going to be closest to? Just quickly, Rich, one thirty or one twenty nine? I think we've got a little bit of upside in the near term. Alice McCake. I think I'm probably going to agree with Rich. Um, uh, I think uh, probably uh, closer to that 130 level. Alistair McCaig, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth. Thank you very much, sir, for joining us from Zurich. Richard Jones, Bloomberg's very own FX and rate strategist and part-time drummer of the Foo Fathers. Thank you very much to you, sir. Of course, you can listen back to a selection of our interviews at BloombergRadio.com or on your Bloomberg Radio Plus app. Thank you very much for listening. For the City of London, this is The Cable. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.